Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Happy New Year again. Thank you. You know, I think a better resolution than to read the Bible this year. You can all read the Bible together. If you don't have a The Story Bible, uh, pick one up after church and you can catch up with us as we get into um, kind of the second, well, half. We're not quite halfway through. uh, Second half of, of the scriptures. Now, raise your hand if you are familiar with these two families that I'm about to mention. The Hatfields and McCoys. The Hatfields and the, well, the McCrories who couldn't spell when they, when they came over. That's okay. Eh, yeah, whatever. West Virginia, yeah. Um, now, do you know how this feud started? Uh, well, in 1863, Asa McCoy, and if I, if I end up saying McCrory during the sermon, forgive me, I just it's stuck in my head. I did that when I was practicing a lot. Right, Asa McCoy, um, was returning in 1863, returning from fighting in the Civil War, who was robbed, he was mugged, and he was murdered. And it was assumed, it was alleged, that it was a Hatfield that had done it. Now, sometime later, uh, I think they discovered that that Hatfield was sick at home that night, and he, he couldn't have done it. But anyway, there you go. Uh, the Hatfields and McCoys uh, from Kentucky and West Virginia border uh, Feuded, fought, killed, had shootouts, all the way down to insignificant uh, arguments over the ownership of a hog. Uh, for 38 years to 1901 is how long this feud went on. Well, as we open chapter 14 in the story, this chapter could easily be entitled The Hatfields and McCoys of the Old Testament. Because it is in chapter 14 where the nation of Israel is completely divided. They're completely torn into. And and this is how it went down. King Solomon, last chapter we just finished, um, had died. His son, Rehoboam, assumed uh, heir, uh, was going to be, you know, uh, inaugurated king. And Jeroboam came up from Egypt for the coronation, but he also came because he wanted to challenge Rehoboam to see if he would be as harsh on the people as his father Solomon was. Solomon, he didn't have a good ending. He started off strong, end of his life, it was not good. Far from God and very cruel uh, to his people. So Jeroboam, and I know these names sound the same, so I'll help you, we'll try to keep them straight. Jeroboam comes up from Egypt, Rehoboam, it's going to be the new king. And uh, he says, hey, are you going to be as harsh as your dad? Are you going to lighten up a little bit? Well, Rehoboam accepts the challenge, I guess, or at least goes to get some advice. And so first he goes and he talks to his dad's older advisors, you know, and they give him pretty wise advice. They tell Rehoboam, well, if you will be a servant to these people and you will serve them and give them favorable answer, they will always be your servants, right? They'll always be loyal to you if you are kind to them. Well, Rehoboam didn't care for that advice, and so he dismissed it, and he went and he talked to some younger guys, some guys that he grew up with, 
And his friends tell him, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Well, you tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy burden. Well, I will lay even heavier yoke on you. Well, this is where the kingdom divided. The southern people around Jerusalem, uh, it was the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Simeon. They basically melded together, became Judah. They stuck with Rehoboam, and they made him king, and he was king over this southern nation, kingdom of Judah. Well, the other 10 tribes, remember 10 out of 12 of the tribes of Judah, the other 10 rallied around Jeroboam, and they made him their king, and they became the nation of Israel. So you've got nation of Israel in the north, Jeroboam is their king. Nation of Judah in the south, Rehoboam is their king. And this happened in 930 B.C. Probably it's hard to read, but 930 B.C., kingdoms divide north and south, and it stays that way throughout the rest of the Old Testament. 930 years. Of course, they get conquered and then conquered again and conquered again, but uh, this division is never healed. It just goes on and on and on. And division is a nasty place to live. Division crushes hopes and dreams. Division ruins weddings, sometimes funerals, when families get together. I've seen that. Division can break the hearts of innocent children. Now, Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Abraham Lincoln's usually quoted as saying that because he did say it, but Jesus said it first. And a house here can be any number of groups. It could be a family unit. It can be a large family circle. It can be a business, an organization. It can even be a church. And, as is in the case in chapter 14, it can mean an entire nation. Some might even say, our nation today. But the truth remains. Once there is division from the inside, it is only a matter of time before the house crumbles. Now, there are many forces and events and circumstances that will seek and affect division in these relationships within a family, within a congregation, affects the witness of Christ, uh, the unity of the bond of peace the Holy Spirit is supposed to, gives us. Many, many things can, uh, can bring division into our, our hearts. So what can we do to stave off those forces? What can we do to hold at bay division? There's a few principles I want us to look at from chapter 14. We look at ancient Israel. I think we can learn quite a bit. And the first thing that I noticed in chapter 14 is that we need to be careful who we listen to. If you look at Rehoboam, remember 
had those older, wiser counselors available to him. He said, no, 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 no. I'm going to talk to my friends. Now, that's a rookie mistake, right? It's easy to see what he did there. Big, big mistake, because we know. If we only talk to people who are our own age, we are going to miss out on all kinds of life experience and wisdom, lessons learned the hard way by other people before we have to learn it the hard way, um, that would be available to us if we would listen, if we would ask. But here's the other part to this, asking for it. Uh, Rehoboam is talking, these are his frat brothers, right? And, And now he's king. How likely do you think they are to tell him something he didn't want to hear? To say something tough to him? He's king now. He's got a lot to lose. Well, and that's, I think I found that to be a pretty general rule for all of us. Uh, All of our friends are predisposed to tell us what we want to hear. They want to please us. They don't want to drive a wedge in our relationship. It's natural. So we need to be aware of that, and we need to be brave and actually ask our friends, a true friend, to tell us things that may be hard for us to hear. And if you're the friend that's asked to give counsel about a situation, start up front, right away at the beginning, say, hey, do you mind if I be completely frank with you? Can I be completely honest? Are you okay if I tell you something that might be difficult for you to hear? I just... It's come from a place of love. You know, I want the best for you. All right, start, start with that. Uh, King Solomon, in his wisdom literature, he wrote in Proverbs, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You get it? A true friend may tell you some tough news, and it may feel like a wound at the time, But in the end, it might save you. It might protect the unity in your house. All right. Be careful who you listen to. Another lesson we learn from ancient Israel is that division is seldom one-sided. So, own your part. Own your part in the division. So when Jesus... Uh, was uh, telling kind of a parable about people uh, complaining about a splinter in his eye. He's got a splinter in his eye. Jesus said, hey, you take the log out of your own eye first, and then you'll see clearly, see the splinter in somebody else's eye. Um, You own a part of this. Now, in this story, chapter 14, Rehoboam sounds like the bad guy, doesn't he? Right? Is he going to be harsh on his people? And he was. He did own a part of it. But Jeroboam wasn't free of responsibility and blame in this kingdom division. See, what you know, or maybe not know, the whole story, before Rehoboam is king, Solomon is still king, uh, God tells Jeroboam that someday he's going to be king. Well, Jeroboam takes matters into his own hands, and he makes a move for King Solomon's throne, but he fails. And that's why he flees to Egypt, flees for his life. So this is the first wedge that he tried to put in the kingdom. Now, after he is king, he's got what he wanted. This is later on. 
He's king of Israel, king of the northern tribes. He decides that he doesn't like his people going to Jerusalem, crossing the border, to go to the temple so they can worship, so they can offer their sacrifices. So Jeroboam gets the bright idea. I'm going to craft two golden calves. I'm going to set them up in Israel, the northern kingdom. And all you people, you can come and worship, and you can offer your sacrifices. Now, does anybody remember the chapter about Moses and the golden calf and how that worked out for the people of Israel? Yeah. Yeah, if one is bad, two is worse. So God sent a prophet to King Jeroboam. He said, what you're doing is evil. Stop this. And we learn that even after this, even after God warned him, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways. They both had a significant role, significant responsibility in the division between those two kingdoms. Now, from my own life experience, I can tell you that after being married for about 23 years now, I, well, actually, hold on, I've been married for exactly 23 years today. Aww. Love you. <laughs> you tell she hasn't changed a bit? It's wonderful and it's sickening. I've changed a little bit, but she hasn't changed a bit. Well, anyway, let me tell you what I can tell you from 23 years of marriage and 14 years of pastoring. I have rarely, I can on one hand, count the times where a division has been solely the responsibility of one party. Now, it is, it's rare that it's 50-50 exactly. Usually one is more than... But we each own a part in that division. And I have found that you can't control other people <laughs> or make them do, but you can own your part. And I found that posture of humility goes a really long way in bringing about healing unity, reconciliation. So, own your part in the division. And uh, another good point that we need to remember is that division can last for generations. It's true with the Hatfields and the McCoys, 38 years. And it was certainly true in ancient Israel. Look at these verses here in chapter 14 about uh, the generations that followed Jeroboam and Rehoboam. There was continual warfare between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Uh, there was war between his successor, Abiah, and Jeroboam throughout Abiah's lifetime. And their successors, there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, throughout their reigns. So just kind of remember, when you start a feud, it might last a lot longer than your own lifetime. Now, this kingdom divided, remember, in 930 B.C. I'm going to fast forward almost a thousand years. Jesus, let's say he's about 30 years old, so it's about 960, 960 years later. Do you remember the story uh, when Jesus meets the woman at the well? The woman at the well. Do you remember what's special about her or the story? She's a Samaritan. Do you know who the Samaritans were? 
The Samaritans were the remnant of the northern tribes under King Jeroboam. The southern tribes in Jerusalem, the kingdom of Judah, Rehoboam's kingdom, they despised each other. Now what happened on this day, Jesus was traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee, his hometown further up north, and the shortest, line, uh, shortest distance, a straight line goes right through Samaria. Well, most Jews, all Jews, they hated the Samaritans so much that they would go around Samaria so that they would not have come in contact with a single Samaritan their whole life. They'd never want to see him. Well, Jesus goes straight through. And he brings reconciliation. He offers the woman at the well living waters. Waters that will bring eternal life. Paul tells us, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, owning your own part, right, live at peace with everyone. Now, he acknowledges, right, it's not always possible. I can't control other people. But if it is possible, and owning my part, my share, my responsibility, try your best <laughs> to live at peace with everyone. And that leads us to the last point I've got, and that is when we get our focus off of God, that's, that's the root cause of division. When we get our focus off of God. We see it in ancient Israel, but we see it in our lives today. The greatest division that's ever happened was the chasm that was created when men and women sinned against their holy God. It is a division that is, it is, in this case, it is 100% our responsibility. And yet God took 100% of the effort, 100% of the work, of the responsibility to bring us back. He sent Jesus into the world to reconcile us back to our creator, back to God Almighty by dying on a cross to pay the price for our sins, the wages of sin is death, and then by rising from the tomb so that we will have eternal life with him, with our loved ones, in unity, in glory, in peace, in joy. On June the 14th in 2003, uh, Rio Hatfield and Bo and Ron McCoy signed a truce. And it was also signed by 60 descendants of both families. The governors of West Virginia and Kentucky signed a proclamation declaring June 14th, Hatfield and McCoy Reconciliation Day. Now, Rio Hatfield said that uh, he hoped that uh, people seeing that these two feuding families uh, coming together would mean that there's hope for all of us. And uh, Ron McCoy, he said that uh, the Hatfields and McCoys have been synonymous with fighting and, and feuding. And he hoped that people would learn that that's not the last chapter. Well, Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand. Well, the opposite is true, too. A house united can withstand 
anything. So I want to pray for our unity today. And if you're here with uh, your family, you want unity in your family, feel free to hold hands. Uh, if you're here, uh, somebody you know, uh, you can put your hand on their shoulder. If you don't know them, maybe you can ask permission. If you're uh, here alone, if you're single, if you're worshiping online by yourself, you need to realize that you can even be divided amongst yourself, the spirit versus the flesh, and you can put your hand on your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your son prayed for unity. He prayed that we would be one with you even as you and he are one. God, you told us that a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one. And Paul has exhorted us that we are, we are one body in Christ, though many members, one body accomplishing one mission. Lord, there are many forces uh, working against us, including our own sinful and selfish natures, the devil prowls around our homes, seeking to devour and divide us. Lord, we need your help. Send us your Holy Spirit, our, our counselor and comforter and reconciler, the light bearer into this world. Fill our homes, our hearts, our nation with the love of God in Jesus Christ, a giving, serving, sacrificial love that we share with one another. Again, in our homes, in our church, in our community, in our nation. Help us to own our part, to bring your unity, your will, be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.